0: Hey folks, welcome to the Adventure Sports podcast. I'm getting this episode up a day late and also you might hear a little echo. I got a new mic after almost 5 years of podcasting. I finally got a new microphone. Um, the $50 one that I bought when I first started is is finally starting to give out, but you know, hey, that $50 mic did really well. You know, podcasting's pretty cheap to get into and I love, you know, me, I love a deal. Speaking of that, I had an amazing opportunity, and this is the reason why the episode's coming out late, amazing opportunity to go kayak in the Everglades, Everglades National Park for three days, and I just got back from that. I thought I'd have time to make the episode yesterday, but I didn't, um, with Florida Outdoor Adventures. That's the company with Dave, the owner, uh, and Bonesy, one of the guides. We had an amazing time kayaking and camping all over an area called 10,000 Islands. So imagine on the southern edge of Florida, kind of southwest Florida. Uh, the, the Everglades, by the way, are is basically a river, but it's a, imagine a river that's very shallow and 100 miles wide, and it flows ever so slowly through a landscape, which is obviously a wetland because that water is so shallow. So there's this Amazing array of animals and birds and and fish on uh, alligators, as you can imagine, and just different types of landscape. It sounds like just nothing but sawgrass or you know grass, but there there is so much to it. And we went and explored the edge of the Everglades where it hits the the Gulf of Mexico. And what it does, it creates this area called Ten Thousand Islands, which are all these mangrove islands. Imagine taking a fifteen thousand piece puzzle. And just dropping all the pieces on the floor, and they're all slightly spread out and have just a little distance between them, but not much. That's 10,000 islands, which actually is closer to 15,000, 16,000 islands. Um, And you're just going all through there. It's unbelievable. It never ends, it seems like. It was amazing. We went all the way out to the Gulf and camped. And anyway, Florida Outdoor Adventures, floutdooradventures.com. If you want to learn more, they do three-day, five-day, and eight-day trips highly recommend it's such my vibe it's guided but it's a true adventure and i rarely do guided trips like this where i'm i'm not by myself or the one in charge and it was so cool to have someone two people actually so knowledgeable so interested in teaching the group it was really neat and and so what's cool about today's podcast episode is that barry cruz is a guide he is a huge advocate for guiding like if you travel somewhere and you do an adventure get a guide it takes you from having to reinvent the wheel to catches you up on so much going on in the area so much history and you know i consider myself a pretty experienced paddler but i've never taken an official like you know a course uh, to learn the actual fundamentals of paddling in just those couple days with Dave and Bonesy, I learned so much terminology, so many styles of paddling so much that just elevated my game in, in no time. So I really kind of learned the power of guides on this trip. Uh, and what's cool is Barry has been, I remember talking about this episode. This episode actually came out episode 7 seven eleven actually. That's funny. Uh, back in March, 2021. So over two years ago now. And Barry has a podcast called Leading Steep, where he talks to full-time guides, career guides about how they did it, what they've learned, uh, and what lessons there are for all of us. And Barry himself is not a full-time guide. He is—he used to be, and then he took a white-collar job. Loves it. That's been his career, but his—it has, it has been able to fund all these adventures that he's done. So a lot of times on this show, we talk about people leaving white-collar jobs to, you know, be full-time adventurers or whatnot. There's there's a ton of downsides of that, especially if you have a family. Um, it's stressful. I've tried it it's really hard you know this when this podcast had to pay the bills it was not as fun as it is now when I have a full-time job I'm able to enjoy it a lot more uh and if I need a new mic it doesn't set me back too much so uh we're gonna talk to Barry today this is a replayed episode a revisited episode like I said and just just an amazing amazing episode so let's go ahead and dive in All right, folks. Welcome to the Adventure Sports Podcast. Today we've got a we've got a really interesting story from a really interesting perspective. You heard a little bit about it in the intro, uh, but I wanted to welcome you on the show, Barry. How you doing?
1: I'm doing fantastic, Mason. Thank you very much for having me.
0: Yeah, you're welcome. I think you know what I'm going to ask next. <laughs> where are you coming from? <laughs>
1: where Where am I speaking from? Listen, I'm, I'm in Rockland, California, which is a, a suburb of Roseville near Sacramento. <clears throat> but, you know, your adventure sports folks are going to love this place. It's right at the foot of the Sierra Mountains, ideally located for all kinds of adventure sports. Like, I'm about 100 miles, give or take 20 miles or so, from San Francisco, Napa, Tahoe, and even Yosemite. And there's great rock climbing uh, and skiing and biking and everything. But for me, Mason, it's especially the whitewater. There are rivers all over California to be run. And, you know, people think of this state for Hollywood and beaches and technology and wine, but hardcore boaters come here from around the world just for the whitewater. So I I love where I live, Rockland, California.
0: Man, Barry, I'll be honest, my my heart has never left Yosemite Valley once it entered there. And it's uh, all of California in general is just always been so incredible and it sounds like about the perfect place i would ever want to live too so i don't know what it's like in rockland but uh maybe we'll have to come visit sometime to scope it out <laughs> don't know if you're open to that
1: i got plans to take your rafting sometime mason so oh, i hope you goodness. will take us up on that
0: i hate to diverge this but the the last rafting experience i had my mother-in-law came out to colorado and we went rafting with some friends and i thought he knew what he was doing and it wasn't that intense, but we had no clue what we were doing, and it ended up being one of the scariest moments of my life. Thought I was going to lose my mother-in-law. She was, you know, going under the rapids, screaming for me to come save her. And yeah, our relationship changed that day. <laughs> She's over at the house right now, which is great, watching my son. But uh, but still, it was that was a last rafting last rafting experience I had out there. But I would like a new one to replace it in a in a positive light.
1: We'll work that out. I'll, I'll do my best. I'll, I'll promise to uh, to get you on the right kind of trip and give you the right kind of experience, Mason. Rather than the uh, <laughs> the scary experience with your mom in law.
0: Oh man, no, I appreciate it. Well, Barry, uh, I've been talking a little too much. I'd love to learn about you know wh- where you grew up, what you grew up doing, how you got into rafting. Um, I don't think you grew up in Rockland. Uh, where was where was home for you growing up?
1: Well, I am a Northern California, so I, I grew a Northern Californian, uh, and I, I did grow up near here. I grew up in the San Francisco Bay Area, and uh, my father was a high school teacher, so if you think back to your favorite teacher in high school, that was my dad, Jim Cruz. Everybody loved him. Uh, and so he was a high school teacher in the wintertime, but in the summertime, Mason, we would travel 800 miles north because he was a park ranger in Mount Rainier National Park. So every summer as a kid, uh, you know, we we lived in Mount Rainier National Park for about 14 years and some years were better than others. Some years there were other kids my age, some years not. But I spent a lot of time just skipping rocks and learning how to fly fish on my own. And it was a great experience for for a young kid. So that's kind of how I got introduced to the outdoor world, hanging out with rangers and with with other folks in the in the outdoors. So, you know, split time between the San Francisco Bay Area, and, um, uh, and Washington State. And then later in life, after my legendary, legendarily mediocre team sports career ended, I went to college and I got into rock climbing. I was a pretty serious rock climber way back in the day, and um, uh, that got me introduced to rafting, actually. I taught a guy to rock climb named Todd Demarest, and he said, hey, Barry, if you take me climbing more, I'll take you whitewater rafting. And so my first exposure to rafting was at guide school, and I just fell in love with it immediately. I just fell in love with whitewater rafting. You get to see amazing places. You get to meet lots of people. You get to to challenge yourself with a little bit of adventure. Uh, and you get to yell. You know, we don't get to yell all that much in our life, Mason. So you get to yell. You get to yell commands. And, and <laughs> right. there's a lot of joy in all of that. But that's how I got started in, in whitewater rafting. And uh, so it was, you know, many years ago. But uh, but it's been a big part of my life ever since.
0: You found it via climbing. What do you think about it? Was it just, you know, I, you, know you mentioned a few things like yelling. Um, I could see how that would be attractive to, to any aspect of life. being Having, having the, the, the green light to, to scream at the top of your lungs is pretty fun. Um, yeah. What else about it drew you to it? What about water versus versus the rock? It seems to be that, that climbing kind of takes over people's lives more so than whitewater. I don't know. Maybe we've just seen that story enough times, but what was it for you?
1: Well, look, the, the candid truth is I was also a pretty mediocre mountaineer and rock climber as well. I'm six foot four, so I'm a big guy. And, uh, you know, you're never going to be Alex Honnold. Gosh, I hope he's not six foot four, but you're never going to no, be I think he's Tommy six,
0: five eleven. I think he's five eleven.
1: <laughs> there you go. Okay. Let me put it this way. You're never going to be Tommy Caldwell when you're six foot four, right? You're never going to be a great rock climber if you're a big dude, like I am. So, you know, so my, my career was going to be limited in that way, but one of the things that I love best about rafting is that it's a group activity. It's a team activity. In fact, it's a great family pandemic uh, activity, despite your experience in Colorado, Mason. But it's a great team activity. And so it requires a lot of coordination, a lot of teamwork, a lot of um, a collaboration between a team. And that, that was one of the things that, that I liked best. Further, when I started rafting, something really interesting happened. I'll call it the dawn of the self-bailing era now people people take this for granted now you know every raft is a self-bailing raft which means it has an inflatable floor in it and so when water comes into the boat it basically just drains out of the boat but the first year that I rafted there were no self-bailing boats and so that year the next year uh, I rafted me and a buddy of mine Eric Martin we bought this boat called a Sotar which is an acronym for state of the art raft they're still in business they still produce great boats but Anyhow, we bought this Sotar and it immediately opened up the world to whitewater boating in a way that it had never been opened up before. Now, kayakers in plastic boats have been doing wild, crazy stuff for, for years. But, you know, for those of your folks who are into different sports, the self-bailing raft was to whitewater what the shock absorber was to mountain biking or what shaped skis were to, sh- were to skiing or what cam locks were to, to rock climbing, right? It just completely changed the world. And allowed us to go do things that we had never done before. And so that was really what inspired me about this is me and some young buddies at the time started doing all kinds of class five whitewater and doing all kinds of new exploratory trips all over California because there was still a lot of virgin ground to be covered. So, so that's one of the things that I really like best about it is this whole notion of camaraderie, this notion of getting to see places even still that a lot of people don't get to go because this boat gives you access to things that you, that you otherwise might not be able to do get into canyons that are not easily hikeable, for example. So there, there's lots to love about it, but I, I think the best things for me are the, the camaraderie, the teamwork and the, uh, and, and the places that you get to see.
0: So th- there is a, uh... There is a teamwork about it that I didn't think about, about other sports. There's there's, there's not that same level of teamwork in, in some of the other outdoor sports in general. Like you can be there doing the same sport with other people, but it's not necessarily crucial to the success of everybody. But with rafting, it's a totally different story. Um, yeah. So can I ask you this? Before the self-bailing era, did your raft just fill up with water and you just had Precisely. to- Precisely. Oh, so there was nothing to do about that other than no just bail the, it out.
1: That's right. Exactly. You'd carry these, you know, five gallon paint buckets with you in the trip. And, and so when water would splash into the boat, you know, your boat could end up weighing 2000 pounds full of water, right? Yeah. And, and you would just basically careen through a rapid with, with no control and somebody bailing full time grabbing this five gallon bucket and throwing water out of the boat. So yeah, that's why I say it radically tra- changed the universe of whitewater and rafting. When we no longer had to bail the boat, it was just a, a you know, a surprising experience. Now, rafting has still evolved even beyond that, Mason, now today, uh, right? A lot of people are rafting in ways we, we call R2 or two people in the raft, right? Classic rafting means typically like a paddle boat means R7, R7 you know, people in the raft or R5, right? Five people in the raft. But a lot of people now are R2ing real serious hard whitewater. So you and I might sit right next to each other, uh, just the two of us in a boat and go, you know, go run hard whitewater that way. And there's even this crazy new boat called a, a creature craft where they're running like class five and six, huge, huge whitewater. It's almost like being in, inside of a barrel in some way, but you know, the sport continues to evolve in its way. The self-bailer though was the big revolution that, that really changed things and allowed us to go much steeper, do all kinds of crazy, fun, amazing stuff.
0: That is too cool to, to be able to see it in that, that transition happened before your eyes was, was, I'm sure pretty, pretty incredible. And now at this time, or or when exactly did you get into guiding and, and how did you, how did you fare with other guides? Cause I, I'll be honest, I've, I've conversed with you a few times and, and you're just, you're just very professional, very put together, uh, essentially almost the exact opposite of most river raft guides that I've met in my personal <laughs> life <laughs> and not in a bad way. They're just, you know, a little more free spirited. I don't know how to say it, but you know what I'm saying?
1: No, I, I absolutely know what you're, what you're, what you're saying. And thank, first of all, thanks for the kind, the kind things to say, you know, I learned a lot about being a better leader and a better person as a rafting guide, because as a guide, you encounter so many different personalities and so many different people and you're responsible for their lives effectively. When you have people in your boat, you have people on your trip, you're, you're very much responsible for their well-being, And so it, it teaches you a lot. Now, look, there, there is the there is the very bohemian rafting guide and, and you know, guide in many adventure sports, of course, who, who takes that as their lifestyle and does that around the world. But there are a lot of very professional whitewater people as well. You know, I, I run this thing called Junior Guides Raft Camp, uh, Mason, and, and it's, a, it's a little nonprofit a summer camp for kids out here in California. We run, we run two camps a year and take about 140 kids or so through the summer camp. Many of our families call back and say it's their favorite activity. They book every year. This year we sold out in 15 minutes. So wow. that, that tells you something. But, you know, two years ago I had this, this woman call up and, and she said she was a mom call up and she said, like you did, you know, Barry, I'd like to bring my kids to, 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 to junior guides raft camp, but, you know, many of the rafting guides I know are, are, are kind of bohemians. I'm saying that in the nicest kind of way. But she said, you know, they're 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 not necessarily, uh, uh, you know, the folks who are stand up citizens. And I said, look, I appreciate your perspective, but let me tell you about a few of my friends. I got a friend, Tyler Smith, who's a, a very well known, very successful surgeon, who says that he's a better doctor because he was a raft guide. A friend of mine, Amy Flynn, she's a a, a, a senior professor at um, uh, at I think it's at San Francisco State University or University of San Francisco. Forgive me, Amy. But she's done very well for herself. My friend Juliette Starrett is very well-known exercise physiologist. Was recognized by Michelle Obama for this uh, initiative that she had called Stand Up Kids. Like I just really believe that that being a guide and being around people can make you a better person if you take that on. If you understand this gift and this lesson that you that you're getting from from being a leader and 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 really leading people. So I got to say I, I put rafting guides in the net positive column, uh, Mason. So. <laughs> Net I think very favorably about this business.
0: Let's take a quick message break and hear from the folks that help make this show possible. That is plenty of that for now. Let's get back into the episode. Yeah, you know that I think that's just you know you you identify a certain or a certain certain segment of the rafting community has probably gotten more spotlight, probably gotten a little more stereotyped. And, you you know, the folks that aren't meeting that demographic, you don't ever guess to be rafting guides or former rafting guides. So that's probably what it is. Um, So so for you, uh, something that you did that was really interesting is you made the transition out of rafting and into kind of the professional world. And it wasn't it wasn't an awful transition. So many times, this is what's one reason I'm really excited to talk to you. So many times we hear the, I was so dissatisfied with my life, working the nine to five. I had, you know, I made, you know, had all the checklists that a modern society said I should have, and I was very yeah. unhappy. And I decided to get, do, go do an adventure sport and become a guide and start a company. We hear that story a lot. Um, that story doesn't always end well for folks. Uh, me being no, me someone fine. who's tested that out um, and saying, "Wow, there's actually it's really stressful. It's not very you know secure in a lot of ways." You did the opposite in a lot of ways. Can you tell us about that? What what led to that transition and and, and how you how you managed it, how you approached it, and, and what it is what it has done for your life.
1: Sure, you know I respect and adore so many of my full-time rafting guide friends from around the world. I have one friend named Araya Rusis, and she's been a full-time guide since since I was a guide for the last you know two, three decades or so. And she's an extremely well-respected guide. has guided and lived around the world, done amazing things from you know from uh, from uh, from Bhutan to to to, to Bangor, Maine. Uh, you know, she's she's an incredible guide and an incredible human being. But you know. There was an old college football commercial, an NCAA college football commercial. Mason and 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 the uh, the, the commercial, I think, went something like this: uh, You know, there are sixty thousand NCAA athletes in the United States, and ninety nine percent of them are going to go pro in something other than their sport. Mm. And I think that's the case for the hundred and fifty million Americans or so who uh, who who also work full time jobs like I do, but still passionately pursue their adventure sport the way that I pursue rafting. You know. Uh, I'm very happy in my in my white collar career, having been a white water guy uh, now. But um, uh, yeah, re- when I got out of college, I took a job uh, with a, um, a company here in Sacramento, a technology company here in Sacramento in the newspaper business. And, you know, I've largely been working full time most of the time since then as a white collar guy. But the fact that I'm an adventurer as well, and I still even work some commercial rafting trips on occasion, is just it really is a good balance for me in my life. I I love my company. I work for a company called Franklin Templeton Investments. We're a global asset management firm, and I have a great job with that company. I'm the global head of the Franklin Templeton Academy. We train tens of thousands of financial advisors around the world in 30 countries and 16 languages. and, And I love my work, and it's very fulfilling to me there. And my adventure life contributes really favorably to my, to my work life, to my business life. It gives me a lot of gratification. It gives me a lot of, uh, a lot of respect and appreciation for, for both of those worlds and for all the things I have. So, you know, again, I'm speaking to the 99% of your audience who are, who are not professional adventurers and saying, look, I'm a weekend warrior like you. I, you know, I rafted 35 days last year, so I'm very, very happy with that. So I, ho- I hope that kind of addresses your question and answer, answers that.
0: Absolutely. You know, it's just great to talk to somebody who is, who is content, I guess is maybe the best word or, oh, yeah. or, or satisfied with their, with not going into the, the, the guiding world or the full-time adventure world. Um, I think that in today's world, Instagram can kind of muddle the, uh, the reality of that lifestyle in a lot of ways, especially with a, with a family or with responsibilities, um without letting you know some some of the some of the other side of that and so uh do, would you say that guiding or a background in adventure uh, is common in your line of work or is it you know common than we more common than we would think or has it you know made you sort of a uh, sort of a unique perspective in in the work you do
1: you know there are there are lots of professionals uh in the finance world and elsewhere who are doing pretty great adventure stuff we have a portfolio manager at the firm named Michael Hosenstaub. And, you know, he climbed Everest a few years ago. And, and so there are some pretty serious uh, adventurers at my business as well who participate in all kinds of stuff. But like I say, I mean, I think that that having a passion, having a, a you know, an outside interest and outside purpose really is, is extremely helpful. Uh, and many of my folks, many of the people that I appreciate have this kind of secondary interest, whether they're pretty serious rock climbers like my buddy Gary Fluid or you know, uh, stand up paddle boarders or, or whatever, whatever sport they're pursuing. I think it's so important to have this draw in your life, especially if you have kids, Mason, right? Especially if you're a parent and exposing your kids to the outdoors and getting them to to, to to travel with you. My kids and I did a bunch of trips last year during the pandemic. You know, many times my wife would drive shuttle for us or go with us. And then the two kids would get in the boat with me. We would do a one boat trip on the middle fork of the American river or something. And I, I got to tell you, 2020 was a real gift to us in that regard. It was amazing. I will never forget this and know that I'm never going to have that kind of quality time again with my 15-year-old and my 17-year-old, right, who will leave the house in, in some n- near period. But uh, it, it was a real gift that way. And that's why I say that I think whitewater rafting is such a great family activity. It's such a great pandemic activity.
0: Is there a time or a moment you could share with us where where your background in guiding or or having this... Not even something as like, oh, something I used to do, but something I actively do has helped you in your line of work, whether it was decision making or, or, or making it through a challenging time. Could you share a story like that where being proficient in adventure sports has helped you get through something you're going through at work?
1: Yeah, I'm going to I'm going to share a, a very specific example with you. So I'll ask you and your listeners to kind of imagine us being together in this Um So let's just say, Mason, that in May, you're going to be out in California and I'm going to take you on a river called uh, the North Fork of the American. There's a section up there that I love of the 70 rivers I've run or so. This is my favorite section. It's called Giant Gap. And this trip is a great adventure. Uh, We're going to we're going to pack the boats and all the gear the night before. We're going to roll the boat up like a big wheel, a big tire, and we're going to roll it down this trail about a mile and a half down this into this 2000 foot gorge And we're going to run this section of whitewater, which is about 14 miles. So we're going to get up real early on on Saturday morning at about 5 a.m. And we're going to drive 35 miles or so from here. We're going to unpack the boat, roll it down this hill. And then we're going to pump up the boat at the shore uh, of the river uh, in the giant Gap section. And we're going to start rafting. About three and a half miles into this trip, class four, class five whitewater, just a spectacular canyon. But about three and a half miles into this trip is a rapid called Nutcracker. And it's going to cause me to lose a little sleep the night before because nutcracker worries me. And so above that rapid Mason, I'm going to give you a little safety speech specifically about this rapid. It's going to sound like this. We're about to drop into this rapid nutcracker. It's uh, you can see it looks like a bobsled shoot. It just looks like a, a white, you know, violent looking bobsled shoot. There's a reactionary wave on the right, another reactionary on the left, another on the right. And then there's a giant hole at the bottom. And even if we have a perfect run, as has happened to me in the past, we could flip in the hole at the very bottom of this uh, of this rapid. That's not so big a deal usually in a what we call a pool drop river. But in this particular case, if we flip or have a problem at that last hole, that last big hydraulic, there's another rapid only a few hundred yards downstream called Locomotive Falls. It's a five foot waterfall into a nasty recirculating hydraulic hole is very difficult to get out of. So my point to you is that if we have a problem in Nutcracker, you need to swim for an eddy. You need to self-rescue. You need to get yourself into some calm water so that you don't end up drifting into locomotive falls where you don't want to swim. Because I've been on top of an upside boat surfing in that hole for 10 minutes before until somebody threw a rope to get me out. So anyhow, what I'm telling you there, what I'm explaining to you, Mason, in this story is that I'm setting you up for what's going to happen. And I'm explaining to you what we're about to go through. And I'm mentally preparing you for that rapid. You know, and even as we drop into the rapid, I'm going to yell, yell for you, as I talked about yelling before, I'm going to yell for you to take a few deep breaths in case you have a bad swim, right? So, uh, you know, maybe psychological more than anything else, but nevertheless, we're going to run this rapid. So how does this relate in the, uh, in the, in the corporate world? Well, my firm, Franklin Templeton, went through a, a pretty significant merger last year. Uh, we acquired a firm called Leg Mason, a bunch of terrific staff there. But, you know, a big corporate merger like that of 12,000 employees coming together can produce a lot of anxiety. You know, there's a Barry Cruz here and there's a a more talented Barry Cruz at, at this other firm. And so that, that can produce some anxiety. So one of the things that I really try to do as a leader, and one of the reasons I'm writing this book and working on this other podcast project is to try to prepare people for what they can anticipate, to try to mentally prepare them for that, that flip and that, that difficult situation where, you know, there will be challenges to our work and there will be reorganizations and there will be Uh, You know, lots of inquiries into what we are doing for our business, and I want to mentally prepare them to have some courage around that, to make sure they're doing their best work, to make sure they're in the right mind space, to understand what's going on, because we're going to have to make some difficult decisions. So, anyhow, that's a long story to tell you that I think the the notion of guiding, the the notion of being compassionate and confident and competent and caring and communicative and clear and concise, all these things, all these c words for leadership, I think this is a really helpful notion. That translate translates so well from the guiding world into the the corporate world. I I, I hope that was a, that was a good way to describe that.
0: Beautiful stories. So many lessons can be learned out on that river, man. So, something so big and challenging like that merger, or something so anxiety inducing like that hydraulic. Or how did you describe that? That was a yeah
1: big big hydraulic, a big hole at the bottom of yeah nutcracker. big hydraulic yeah.
0: bowl. I mean, I know I can visualize exactly what you're saying, like I, I know what that is, and I mean how do how do you get everyone on the same page or mentally prepare yourself to to face something that that could be so anxiety inducing? You say you lose sleep the night before? How do you know it's the right way to go, the right thing to do?
1: Yeah, absolutely. No, no. And, and, and as a guide, it's a pretty big responsibility, right? If we're going to go do that trip. And so when I say I'm losing sleep over that rapid, I'm just thinking about the day, the day ahead and, and, and mentally scouting the run as, as you would. But, you know, you come to these decision points, both in the corporate world, but, but in the uh, in, in the adventure world is well, where, where you make go, no go decisions. Right. So, I mean, if we hiked into that run that Saturday And I recognize that the water is too high for us to be there, then we're hiking out. We'll leave the gear there, or we'll, you know, and we'll come back and get it later, or we'll boat another day. But, you know, you have these go no go decisions that all of your adventurers listening now have to make on occasion where you're going to determine that you hike out. And you know what? Mason, I've hiked out of a half dozen rivers where things just didn't go well. We flipped in the first rapid, we rolled up the boat, put it behind a tree, and hiked out, came back a week later. You know, it, it happens. You have to be prepared for that, prepared to abandon things. And then on a trip like Giant Gap, it's even more serious because this canyon is dead vertical in spaces. You cannot hike out. So that's what makes this the river, which is generally kind of class four, class four plus. But what, that's what makes it class five is this level of commitment and that potential risk that, that you go through. So those are all the things that you're kind of triangulating on, on a very serious trip. When I've guided a run like Cherry Creek, there's a, a, a river near Yosemite called the Tuolumne River. I'm sure you've heard of Tuolumne Meadows. You said how much you love
0: Mm -hmm.
1: Yosemite, but the the California classic is a river called uh, the Tuolumne. It's a brilliant class four run. It just has really beautifully spaced rapids and aesthetically neat rapids, but the run above that is called Cherry Creek. And we also run that or the upper Tuolumne. We also run that commercially. And, you know, on that run, Mason, we actually do a swim test. There's a, a physical fitness test before the run. There's a swim test you have to be able to swim under the raft in order to be able to go on this trip, you know, so we start down the river, go to about a half mile or so down the river. And then we make people do this, um, uh, do this, the rest of this uh, swim test, the physical fitness test. And you know what, we've, we've hiked people out. We, we just walk them out right there. There's a place where the bus is fairly close. So, you know, you're trying to, to to manage risk properly as a guide, the same way that you're managing risk in a business as well, right? Managing investment risk. I don't do that, but manage business risk for my business unit and for, for the things that we were headed. But that's that's where I see these kind of parallels is in this risk management and risk assessment that you're that you're constantly doing as a guide and as a business leader.
0: As a guide and as a business leader. Uh, some someone who took at least on this show the path less taken, <laughs> moving away from full time adventure, moving more into a balanced life. What kind of joys or what kind of experiences has having that white collar position in, in in a position of, of leadership in business? What has that allowed your lifestyle and allowed your 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 life in general? Some of the things that you enjoyed because of that. Yeah,
1: you know, uh, I could have traveled the world as a full time guide, right? and and as a very qualified guide, I could go to work in Chile or go to work in in Nepal or Bhutan or where, wherever. I I could do that as a guide, uh, and I can also do that in my in my work life as well. So the firm that I work for is a a global company. Franklin Templeton has offices in in thirty countries now, and and so it's a global company, and so that's afforded me the opportunity to travel pretty extensively in my whole business career I've been to almost 50 countries now I've been to 48 states and almost 50 countries and so I you know I never say I never say no Mason somebody says there's a a business trap happening or there's a a reasonable business reason for me to be somewhere I always say yes there's always an opportunity there and then almost always I will try to at least carve out some time for adventure and and you know try to do do something like hire a guide somewhere else even as a guide I love being with guides I love uh, you know, being, I hired a great guide in Istanbul, for example, to, to show me around the city for a couple of days. And I hired a wonderful guide last summer in, um, in Washington. When I was up there during the pandemic, we, we, you know, got out of California, went to Washington state, hired this woman named Olivia race with, um, uh, Northwest mountain school who was fantastic. Gave me a great day of rock climbing with just a little bit of everything. It was fantastic. But so The business travel certainly has afforded me the opportunity to go places and do things that I might not otherwise have or have done so in different ways.
0: So you've got the best of both worlds, man. You've gotten to travel, getting paid to, you know, which is nice, and uh, uh, there's some perks to it. Let's just put it that way.
1: I I don't take it for granted. I feel enormously blessed. I work very hard at my job. Uh, You know, I, I I work with a great team of people, really wonderful folks, and I'm really committed to being the best leader I can be for them and for my firm. But uh, but no, I am I am enormously blessed to 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 get to do what I get what I get to do.
0: Mm, absolutely. So, um, you know, we have a lot of young people that listen to this show that get inspired by the stories that that go out and try to make their their some of their first adventures happen or to continue on. And there's always this time of life where it feels like there's this this diversion in in the in the river. You know, we got to choose a path and, and and start pursuing a path. For folks that uh, you know are building up that adventure resume or enjoying those experiences that might be approaching a transition, any advice you have for them as they may fully try to pursue this, this career in adventure sports, um, any advice you have for them as just like a backup things to keep in mind or, or for the folks that are ready to, to make a, a jump into a different world altogether, um, anything that you learned yourself?
1: Sure. You know, my my first bit of advice is don't discount the fact that you can have a fulfilling life outside of the full time adventure world. Now, listen, like I say, as I completely respect the people who who are full time adventurers. I, I was on the phone with a friend of mine, Zach Colley, the other day. He runs a very successful rafting company, Northwest Rafting. He does a great job with it. He does a ton of YouTube media. You can find him on. On YouTube, but, you know, he's very, very fulfilled. And and I think that there is a path for becoming a full-time adventurer and really having a fulfilling and gratifying life in in that way. But, you know, I don't want, uh, I want to encourage folks not to dismiss the fact that you can still have a very fulfilling and gratifying life in the corporate world as well. Mason, especially now, right? People are working from home and many big companies, Salesforce and many other big companies are inviting folks to work from home or from wherever, right? So you could easily live in a mountain town do your nine to five job and, and, you know, work for a great company, earn a good living and still have the chance to go rock climbing in the afternoon or skiing in the afternoon, right? Boating on the weekends, whatever you want to be doing. So, you know, I would encourage people to keep an open mind about the possibilities of having both a fulfilling corporate life and a fulfilling adventure life.
0: Let's take a quick message break and hear from the folks that help make this show possible. Hey, folks, if you're looking for an amazing new show to listen to, we teased it a little bit with one of the episodes last week on the podcast. You'll see it on April 11th. That was... uh just, to, you know, we, we plugged an episode in of Hidden Trails of Oregon. It's a podcast produced by the award-winning travel writer Aaron Miller, uh, who is also a, a former guest on the show and friend of the podcast. And he has this amazing new show called The Hidden Trails of Oregon. And the episode that we had was Crater Lake, Lava Tubes, and Fly Fishing with a Native American Guide. Well, there are a bunch of other episodes, too go check those out wherever you get podcasts, Hidden Trails of Oregon. They were recorded on location with surround sound and are basically on the ground adventure stories like we do like on this podcast. We sit and talk to people, but this one is there on the adventure itself, recording what it sounds like where you are. It feels so immersive. And some of the highlights of the series include kayaking with whales, hiking in the redwoods, caving in lava tubes and snowshoeing all the way up to Crater Lake. It's definitely a unique listening experience for folks who like this show i guarantee you're gonna love it and by the way it was just voted for a webby award it was nominated so it's extremely high quality like that that's a big deal to get a webby um they're nominated one of the best documentary podcasts so check it out hidden trails of oregon find it anywhere you get podcasts that is plenty of that for now let's get back into the episode I think it's so possible. You make a great point. Um, The pandemic has in a lot of ways accelerated that. I know it has for us. I work totally from home, extremely fulfilling job, much more um, so different than I expected my life to go. But I'll I'll have to be honest, I'm so much more fulfilled now and more a more well rounded way, if that makes sense. It's not all about me and my adventures. Um, we're able to oh, yeah. build a, 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 you know, a little more sturdy foundation in life and, and build on that and, uh, kind of allow ourselves to dream a little bit because of these possibilities. Can I, and I would love to ask you this before we jump into talking about uh, leading steep, I would assume one of the other things it has allowed you to do is to pursue giving back with a little bit more, um, through the junior guide guides, raft camp.
1: No, that's right. Well, look, we we have great guides who are affiliated with junior guides, but but you're right. I mean, uh, yeah, I am able to give time pretty generously to junior guides. My firm uh, has a great uh, philanthropy policy, altruism policy, where not only do they give us time to work on on uh, charity things and nonprofit uh, nonprofit causes, especially around diversity and inclusion uh, right now, which is just so important. But not only do do they give us causes but we even have a program at our firm called dollars for doers where you know if you are involved in a charity and you do some number of hours for that charity the firm will actually help you sponsor the activity so yes it's been it's been really lucky in that way to be able to 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 contribute that way you know i was going to share with you too uh, that everybody's lost something in this pandemic some folks have lost more than much more than others obviously with the loss of loved ones and being sickened or losing, losing jobs and so forth. Everybody's losing something. I'm just uh, suggesting too that people look for, look for the gift, as my wife often says, right? Look for the gift in all these things as well, spending more time with your kids or as you've done, Mason, you know, being able to move uh, to a place that better suits your family and spending more, more time with your family. So th- these things are challenges, of course, but there are real gifts here as well. And, and we're, we're certainly uh, taking the benefit of that.
0: Such a great principle. I'd love to also, before we jump into Lead leading steep, uh, there's a rapid named after you, I've been told. Can you tell us a little bit about that?
1: Well, that, that that is true. And and I'd love to tell you that it was something really grand and something really glamorous. It'd be like, you know, uh, like uh, uh, Cruises Cascade or something right. like that. I don't know. <laughs> right. But no, you know, it's, it, I, I'd say the rapid is is ignominiously named after me, Mason, and I'll just tell you the story. About 50 miles from here is a, is a, an, an esoteric little creek called Fordyce Creek, and it's not very often run because it doesn't often have water. It's a dam-controlled section, and so sometimes it runs late in the summer, but it's extremely steep, and it's very serious. It's class five. So me and some buddies, uh, we did the first raft descent of that river. And, you know, like climbing routes get names, right? I mean, climbing routes get incredible names and ski runs, for example, get names, right? That rapids get names as well. And sometimes it's by a physical feature of the rapid or a location for the place or some piece of folklore about the rapid. So me and my buddies were, we're, we're on the first descent of Fordyce Creek. And we, we named one rapid at the very outset. It was this long water slide that we called eraser head and that name sticks. And it's a great name for the rapid. We felt like if you fell out of the boat in this rapid, you're probably going to lose your face because it's just really shallow and long water slide. But anyhow, down river, we, we'd run a bunch of stuff and we'd portage some rapids that were just looked unrunnable to us in the raft. Well, we got down to this one rapid. I ran down the river and I looked at it and it was just kind of this little waterfall. It was like a five foot or six foot waterfall. No big deal. And so I ran back up to the raft and I said, hey, fellas, no, no problem. We're just going to drop into this thing, do kind of a little airplane turn maneuver on the left side of the rapid and, and we'll be fine. We'll just, you know, go straight through it. Was just one single drop. So anyhow, uh, as we dropped into this, into this rapid, um, we uh, suddenly, uh, the boat just went under the waterfall on the right side. I had completely not anticipated this, but the, the rapid, the shape of the rapid is like a fold. It's like the, a, a shape of a V. And so the boat drops into this, into this rapid and it just immediately and violently flipped. It just went upside down immediately. So my buddies washed out of the, out of the rapid immediately, but the boat got sucked back into the rapid and upside down. And I was underneath this upside down boat with, uh, you know, the waterfall running over the top of the boat. And so this buddy of mine starts yelling, where's Barry, where's Barry, you know? And uh, so this rapid will forevermore be known as Where's Barry because I was stuck under the boat grabbing the thwart, you know, this cross tube trying to hang on. I had these spray pants on. They got sucked down around my ankles, you know. (laughs) And finally, my buddy grabbed the boat, pulled me up on shore, and I just, you know, collapsed like, uh, uh, you know, nauseously, right? But uh, this rapid will forevermore be ignominiously known as Where's Barry, I'm ashamed to say. But hey, at least my name's in a rapid somewhere.
0: The the legacy will continue. Where's Barry? Where's Barry's Rapid? I can see that. I can Where's see that. Barry
1: on Fordice Fordice <laughs> Creek? You can look it up in some dark corner of the internet. It's still it's still there. They still call it that.
0: Oh man, that is too funny, uh, Barry. You know you you've turned some of these lessons and, and some of this insight uh, into a new project called Leading Steep. Uh, folks have heard a little bit about that too as well in in the intro. Can you tell us about why you started this? What was the inspiration?
1: Yeah, the the guiding, uh, my guiding experience certainly contributes greatly even to my professional experience, as I mentioned. And so many years ago, I started to recognize the fact that as a leader, as a manager in business, many of the things that I was doing echoed or paralleled the things that I had been doing uh, as, a, as a Whitewater guide. There's just a lot to learn about being a leader there. So I started writing these things down, these little anecdotes down. I came to a list of about 50 of them, and I thought, you know what, I'm going to write a book. I'll just make these stories, you know, turn these stories like the, like the Nutcracker story I told you earlier on, Mason, right? I'll turn these stories into a book. And then I thought, you know, it'd be even better, actually, if I captured a whole bunch of stories from people, from other guides in, in other disciplines. And then I thought, you know, if I, if I started calling people and, and explaining to them what I was trying to do, Maybe I could even get some famous people, some really significant people like many of the people, you know, some of the people you've had on your podcast as well here. So I call this thing leading steep adventure stories, leadership allegories and wisdom from the world's great adventure guides. And so I'm doing a podcast right now and I'm writing a book based largely on these stories. The book will be out later this year, but the podcast is going great. And these stories are just really resonating and they're really, they're really landing with people. You mentioned young people, especially young people. I'm getting young people who, who are sending me these random messages just saying how important these lessons have been to them. So I love this project. Mostly, I just love getting the chance to meet these extraordinary people. Uh, you, you've heard the podcast, Mason. What do you think?
0: Barry, I, I'll have to say, man, it's, uh, you know, th- th- this show tends to um, be a little more whimsical in the sense of you never know. You know, it's, it can be hit or miss. <laughs> Your show, it's like, well, if I need some inspiration, if I if I need some lessons, if I need some uh, podcast that's that's gonna teach me something, I'm gonna go to Barry's podcast, Lead and Steep. It's just. Man, you know, it's it's you're just a professional all around. Um, I'm still this wandering, vagabond spirit in a lot of ways, and it and it comes through in just about everything I do. But uh, y- you've done a great job so far, and I'm, you know, I, I I've reached out to some of the folks on the show, just connected with them in LinkedIn, and I read more of what they've done, and um, it's just opened my eyes in a lot of ways. Even you know, six episodes in, seven, I don't even know what you're at now, but um, yeah. I've listened to every one, and I've really really enjoyed them.
1: Well, listen, don't don't sell yourself short, Mason. The way that we met was me calling you and asking for your, for your advice on a podcast, and I am eternally grateful to you for that. But I agree, the guests are amazing. I'm doing a lot of talking during this episode with you, but in my podcast, actually, I just do what you're doing now, which is uh, the inquisition, the questioning of, of these guests. And these folks are remarkable and and I'm really genuinely doing this because I'm learning too. you know, Zach Collier, as I mentioned him earlier on, he's just a sage in the whitewater rafting world and he's a better leader now because he decided to be Jim Coffey's this rescue expert, internationally known rescue expert, terrific. Uh, you know, uh, Kerry Gray who, who does these amazing adventures for, for the Uber, Uber wealthy. And then Richard bangs. I hope, I, I think you heard that episode. I mean, Richard bangs is a modern day, Indiana Jones. Uh, he was one of the fathers of the adventure travel industry, and he had such great sage wisdom to share with our audience. Uh, really, a true example of the fact that I think the best guides, the best adventure guides I know, also happen to be the most humble people I know. And Richard Bangs is, he, he just uh, exonifies that an, an amazing individual.
0: Man, Barry, this is so cool. Have you, you know, at, at just its basic level, have you enjoyed? enjoy the, the doing the podcast?
1: Well, I'm learning a lot. You know, The project's called Leading Leaning Steep, and my learning curve has been incredibly steep as well. I'm no pro at this at all. I'm just a naturally inquisitive guy, and so that's really helped out. I've got a great production company helping me out called Hatch, and they've been really wonderful. But you know, I really wanted to focus on high production values. I really wanted to, to make it a really attractive sounding show and a really interesting show. And so I, I give a lot of focus to editing and content and all that. But It's been a blast. It's just been such a blast. And I've had outreach even from other guides who want to be on the show. And so I think my favorite part about it, I'm guessing is one of your favorite parts about your show is just getting the chance to meet these wonderful and remarkable people, right? I'm really focused on guides, Mason. You're focused on you know, top adventurers like Story, I'm like Tommy Caldwell. Stories.
0: I'm focused on stories. Yeah, you're
1: focused on stories, right? And and uh, but still on, um, I mean, incredible people, right? Ben Morton and Ashley Winchester, Tommy Caldwell, Brandy Mueller. These people were amazing. I've listened to these shows, and they're remarkable people. But yeah, my my spin on this whole thing is the leadership aspect of being a guide in really any outdoor discipline. And so I'm I'm meeting some incredible people. It's been a total blast.
0: I I can absolutely foresee this being a resource for folks to just just who are interested in this world to be be sent like you got to listen to this podcast, go through each episode. There's so much wisdom. Um, You know, your your overall kind of project is to write this book as well. Can you tell us about that? What can you share about the book?
1: Well, the book is, the book is coming together nicely. I've, uh, you know, I've written about 45,000 words or so. And so I've finished with my first draft. They, it, it's a raw draft. Uh, I'm working with this, with this, um, uh, with this company called Scribe Media. They've been wonderful. And uh, so I've written this first draft of, of the project and you know, I'm I'm already thinking to tell you the truth about writing two books. One of them is this general leadership book for both business leaders and guides, and then maybe a second version of the book that really is targeting just people who work in the guide space, right? Just who work in the adventure guide space, because, like you said, uh, some of these um, outfitters and owners have responded to me to say just what you're saying, like, hey, I'm going to ask my guides to listen to every episode, which has been extremely gratifying. Again, something I just didn't anticipate with the project, but. The book is coming together really nicely, and I'm really proud of the work, and I think especially for the fact that it includes so many of these other stories, right? I mean, one of the, one of the guys that I interviewed a couple of years ago, I haven't had the chance to podcast with him yet, but I'm going to, is a fellow that everybody in your audience should know. He's a guy named Vern Tejas. I don't know if you've heard that name before. I hope you can get him on, on your podcast as well, Mason. But Vern Tejas is this incredible man. He wrote a book called 70 Summits. You know, he's summited the, the, um, uh, the seven summits 10 times each, and he's a guide. Not, not, not only is he a great athlete and adventurer, but he's a guide and you can go on a trip with Vern Tejas. If you want to go to the, you know, to the top of Africa or, or wherever it is that you want to travel the top of Everest anywhere, you can, you can go with this guy, Vern Tejas, but the lessons that that guy shares, and he's so humble, he's just such a gracious man. The lessons that you can learn from him are the kinds of things that I really hope to distill in this book and to hope to that I hope to share with this audience because it's a fascinating story and it, and it just makes you a better person I think makes makes you a better leader I think listening to people like him and 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 Susan Meyer's bird watching guide and Vernon and all these folks it's th- this is what I'm loving most about this whole project
0: it's just so cool to talk to these people I'm not going to lie it's the best part about it 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 has become fun over time you know What other medium exists today where you can have an hour-long conversation with folks and ask them anything you want and learn just about anything from them outside of podcasting? It really doesn't exist. So it's a great world. It's a great way to learn, and it's a great way to have some pretty cool experiences um, conversing with others. So uh, this has been another really, example of that, Barry. I really appreciate you being on.
1: Yeah, no, this this has been great. Mason, I wanted to just share one more thing, if you don't mind. Sure. You know, uh, the, the Junior Guides project to me is a real passionate project. It, is, it doesn't take a lot of time during my year, but families who attend this thing tell me that it's their favorite thing during the year. They regularly come back and that's why the thing sold out in 15 minutes. But, you know, I suspect that there are listeners who are located in other whitewater centers, right? I'm thinking about Maine and North Carolina, Colorado, Utah, Washington, Oregon, Costa Rica, New Zealand. But, you know, I, I, I have this passion that someday we will blow this Junior Guides thing up. Uh, uh, quite a bit more, right? It's a nonprofit, so we're not looking to make any money, but I could see the junior guides concept working so well in these other whitewater centers as well, because, uh, it's such a great family experience. I mean, just to tell you about the camp itself, when you bring the kids, the kids go with, with our, uh, they go rafting for the day and they learn about rafting we're, we're, we're leveraging this, um, outfitter called river runners who are fantastic. The kids go rafting for the day. The adults go rafting on their own or go do something else during the, during the, during the day as well. But we all camp together as families during the evenings, Mason. And that's one of the richest times where the kids are doing skits or a little dance party, or we're just, you know, talking about the day, looking at pictures, silly pictures of, of the rapids and so forth. But, you know, I'd like to plant the seeds for this thing being so much bigger than it is today and, and, and other folks being passionate and involved in it. So again, forgive me for the plug, but again, for the nonprofit, it's juniorguides.org and it's just such a great story, and people love it so much. I'm really so passionate about it, and it feels so good. I inherited this thing from my friend Sarah Canfield and her late husband, Spencer Rubin, and it's just such a gift. It's a gift to me. It's a gift to the families who go along. It's a gift to the whitewater world. It's a gift to the environment. Kids learn more about the environment. So forgive me for going on and on about it, Mason, but I just feel like this could be such a much bigger deal than it than it is today. So somebody's going to reach out, I hope, and drop us an email at Junior Guides, and, and I'll be happy to chat about it.
0: We we all we all know the the lessons and the life lessons and the the benefit from from just personal development that comes from that. Yeah, happy to plug that. Happy to help in any way. Um, I'm no guide, uh, but I love adventure and I love watching things grow and and watching folks spread this world of adventure. So if there's anything else we can do, man, I'd l- I'd love to be a part of it. You're just you're you're obviously a great leader. Uh, I'm excited to learn a lot more from you. Honestly
1: i'm ex- I'm excited to take your rafting sometime mason i hope you're going to get yourself out to california and bring the family out and and, and we'll do a, we'll do a river trip together whether that's giant gap and the real gnarly stuff or something something more placid
0: <laughs> well you're gonna have to get it yeah i'm I'm a little scared at this point so uh you know <laughs> you, you're gonna have to undo a lot of that trauma but uh, but all right well barry man i thank you so much um this has been awesome thank you
1: this is a real treat thank you so much mason a real pleasure